Good afternoon, everybody. This is the Reverend Blake Ruby from San Antonio, Texas. Welcome to my show, The Church of the Soul's Evolution. I hope you are doing well. You had a good week. And it is a beautiful day here, as usual. Every day is a beautiful day, right? The sun is shining, whether the clouds are out there like right now. It's a little bit cool as we transition slowly from wintertime to springtime here in San Antonio. We can't complain about the weather because yesterday it was up around 80 degrees. Uh, a few days also earlier in the week were that high. And today it's kind of cool, but still very pleasant. So I hope you've been well. And I'd like to start by saying I'm expecting a man to call in. His name is Joel Peen. And he's a co-worker that I've known for about two years now, working in my organization, Headquarters Installation Management Command with the U.S. Army in Fort Sam Houston, Texas. And among all the other co-workers that I have, he's probably the one person that I've talked to, that I have talked with a lot about different things. We've got some things in common like running and And so we would share our ideas in the past about what's been working for us in regard to running, where we run on a track, on the pavement. And he's kind of a philosopher kind of guy, and he would ask me questions every once in a while about what I thought in regard to some subject. And anyway, he had some eye surgery recently, maybe about a month or so ago, to try to alleviate some pain, if I'm not mistaken. I think that was the situation. In his eyes, both eyes, one eye at a time, apparently, and the surgery didn't work out as well as I hoped it would. So, Hi, Joel. Hey, Blake. How's it going? It's going all right, thank you. How are you? I'm doing great. I am calling in just to just to listen and um, understand how this environment, what this environment talks about. But before I do, I want to let all the listeners know that that um, Blake is a, has been extremely helpful in my life, and I appreciate all the things he has done to help me to succeed at work. Um. So my first question, since I'm new here, is, Blake, um, what does this program, what is this program for? Joel, my program, and there's a lot of other programs, if you look at the website for BBS Radio, both Channel 1 and Channel 2 are full of different shows that people have regarding all kinds of subjects spirituality, about politics, about religion, about pets, being a pet owner, you name it. There's all kinds of shows out there during the week, you know, Monday through Sunday. And with the one-hour show, it's up to the host in regard to what exactly they want to talk about. Some have guests, some don't. 
people can call in and are invited to call in and give their opinion on a particular subject. I have offered that up a couple of times. I enjoy talking so much for an hour that I usually don't have guests, but guests do call. I've had guests before in the past, and we've talked about different subjects. You've got psychic mediums out there. You've got people who have um, life events happen to them, near-death experiences that they want to share, experts in psychology, psychiatry, ufology, mysticism, metaphysics. There, There are so many people out there, beautiful people, who are willing to share their experiences of their lifetime on a network like BBS Radio, which serves that purpose of communicating these different ideas. It's not your regular radio station, you know, like AM or FM. This is specifically on subjects that people are very passionate about. And some maybe have a show once every week, some every few days or once a day, or maybe once every two weeks. And they are really, as I mentioned, they're passionate about their subjects and they want to share what they have with the world. And indeed, BBS radio extends all around. And they're they're TV now also. They have TV if you you want to use that medium. All around the world, whatever country. You know, it could be Russia, China, Japan, Australia, New Zealand. South America, Chile, Argentina, Colombia, England, anywhere around the world, Africa. You know, people tune into Internet radio because it's easy to. If you have access to the Internet, unlike AM or FM radio, where you might be able to pick up a signal for a place that's far away, you know, that has an interesting, um, shall I say, schedule, you know, of events, of songs, of talk shows, you know, basically that's what mine is, and a lot of other people too, talk shows, and I've noticed that people want to spread the truth, you know, besides being passionate about a subject, people want to share what they know and help make the world a better place, and and promulgate that truth throughout the world, because don't you know that this world is not really centered, or what's a better word besides centered, that's not really concerned about the truth of matters. Yet, for example, so many religions in the world, you know, there's like 4,000 religions in the world, and each one claiming to know the truth, what the truth is. No, you can't have that. It's uh, possible for every religion that's different, and each one claiming to talk the truth and what they are saying is the truth and what the other religion is saying is not so therefore religion is more of a stepping stone to where we need to go in our evolution and evolution is a very slow process it takes hundreds of years look how far we've come over the centuries you know to where we were you know technology has gotten better now we're in the industrial age 
we have a lot more money. That's why there was such slavery before in the past, not only with the African-American people in the recent past, you know, a couple hundred, well, about 150 years ago, but the Hebrews were enslaved by the Egyptians way back three, four thousand years ago. And Moses led them out of Egypt into the promised land. Anyway, so that's what it's about, Joel. And you can pay for a show. There's lots of times I think it's still available, if I'm not mistaken. If you wanted to, you know, if you have the resources to have your own show, I'm sure everybody's passionate about something, you know, where you're very knowledgeable on the subject. I know you are. You were a senior drill sergeant, for example, in the U.S. Army, so you can talk about what it's like to lead recruits, you know. You can talk about your experiences, what it's like there in front of a, a formation of troops and giving them direction. You're also a math tutor. You can teach calculus, you know. You could have a show about that or something I don't know about you, you know. And you said you just wanted to listen, but also let's um, get you engaged and tell tell us a bit about yourself, you know, like where you were born, um, where you grew up when you were raised at, and what your parents were like, or how many siblings you had, what schools you went to. What's your philosophy on life? What are you passionate about? Do you have any desire to make the world a better place? That kind of thing, you know, and I can help you along as we go on forward into the show, you know, and I'll ask questions, but I mean, I could talk. I, I can talk all the way to um, the end, but you're a special guest. Welcome to the show. And so well, let's do this together, you know, um, I've been with BBS Radio now since 2017, so over six years, not once a week, every week, now only since like the beginning of 2020 did I go to what I call full-time once a week. Before that, it was once every two weeks, but are you you willing to share your your story to the people out there? Joel, what do you think? I'm I'm willing to share some of it. I'm not ready to expose too much. Um, okay. But I, um, what is BBS? What does BBS stand for? I'm not sure what BBS. Doug or Don, are you out there? Could you you know what B? Could you tell us what BBS stands for? They might have stepped away. Okay. The, well, we've got lots of things going on. Anyway. I don't know what for what, sure. It's like, yeah. what does BBS stand for then? Please. All right. Well, your audience can hear me now. Actually, BBS stands for Blog In Broadcasting Service. It used to be when we first started out and in the 1990s, we started out as Blog In Service. In other words, there was no video or audio or media online, so we figured there, since there was only blogs and we wanted to be of well, service, okay. maybe, maybe it would be blog maybe in service. We'll find out later. 
Oh, yeah. you didn't hear him? He was saying. Oh, 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 sorry. Now he can hear me. Um, I apologize. Uh, the other board up turned off. We we can target each line or all lines or a group of lines. Forgive me. But Blogging Service was the original name. Blog in or a blog in service to others. And that's what it all meant. We wanted to be in service to others. So we started a blog in service to others. Blog in service. And blog in service later then became blog in broadcasting service or BBS radio, which we then trademarked BBS and we trademarked BBS radio. And that really was the beginning. Uh, BBS Radio became came about in 2004. All right. Okay. Well, well, thank you for the... Thank you. Thank you thank for sharing. My, my pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you for asking. Go ahead. Um, yes, thank you. Joe, go ahead, please. I'm going to try to keep my, sh- my story short because... Um, because I wouldn't be who I am without my uh, without my mother and without without my wife right. and without the kids that I have and without my siblings. Um, I was raised in Port-au-Prince, Haiti. I, I had an opportunity to just enjoy life not enjoy freedom um for a long time till i realized i had to take care of my siblings because they weren't enjoying life the way i was um so at the age of 7 we all moved to america and and landed in Brooklyn, New York. We had parents who were who were not together, but was playing back and forth with with uh, with the kids. Can't tell you the true story why we were we were being thrown left and right, but but we. We're all glad where we we ended by being in America. Um, but one thing my my mother my mother always found a way to make me laugh, and so I always wanted people around me to feel good. So I I would really end up thinking about. How do I make others feel good? So the first group of people I tried to make feel good was my big brother, my big sister, and my little brother. And one one tool I was able to do was I was a newspaper boy. And every Friday or every other Friday, I was giving uh, an allowance or a paycheck, not understanding money, 
I was given paycheck. I rode my bike straight to the candy store and ice cream store. And when I got home, those three were waiting for me. And I just ripped the bag open, put it on the table, and I saw a smile across all their face. Wow. That, awesome. that, was, the, that was the highlight of my my career as at that age. I know what really, you mean. Uh, great. Really enjoyed um, making others feel great. Good for you. That's a very loving and compassionate thing to do. I, I, we all love candies, candy and ice cream when we're young. I could tell yeah. you some stories about me, you know, growing up. Uh, and soda pop, too, you know. That was... I had a newspaper route also when I was in Ottawa, Canada. Uh-huh. And uh, it was actually a magazine called Star Weekly. It came out once a week. And it was 20 cents back in 1968. And I didn't have that many customers, but I made about $5 a week in profit. And I, too, would... You know, go buy a chocolate bar, soda pop, and or soda pop. Go ahead, please. No, 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 please. Let's let's learn about each other as we go down this oh, road. Okay. Yes. Well, I, I don't know if I ever talked with you that much about my upbringing. We never really had a lot of time there at work because we had to go back to what we were doing. I grew up in Canada. Born in Barrie, Ontario, moved to Halifax, Nova Scotia, to Oromocto, New Brunswick, overseas in Germany for two years because my father was stationed with the Canadian Army, back to New Brunswick to a place called Fredericton, which was close by the previous place, Oromocto, Nashwaxisak, actually, which was a, an urban area outside of Fredericton, alongside the beautiful blue St. John River in the 60s, from 62 through 68. And then we moved to Ottawa, the capital, in 68. And we stayed there until 71, when my parents decided that they were, they were going to move us from Ottawa to Guadalajara, Mexico. They pulled me out halfway through my 11th grade, which was okay. I didn't mind. It was new, you know, and, and exciting in a way to relocate from Canada to Mexico. Guadalajara is 5,200 feet above sea level, about in the middle of Mexico. And when we got there, it was halfway through the 11th grade, and we tried to get me into the American high school, but the curriculum from Canada was not compatible with the American curriculum, so I had to wait out the rest of the year and do the 11th grade over again. And so I did the 11th grade my junior year and my senior year there at American High School in Guadalajara, Mexico. Hold on, please. Hold on. Seriously. Some coyotes were sounding off behind our backyard, and you heard our dog barking back there, but 
I told her to stop barking. She's a very obedient dog. I closed the door so she won't hear the coyotes yapping over there anymore. And they've stopped anyway. And so I graduated from high school in Guadalajara. And what an experience that was. But two years. And my dad actually had his own radio show there. Broadcasting news for the Canadian radio station. And my mother, well, she has always been a housewife. She had always been a housewife for most of her life. She had a couple of odd jobs here and there. She got into a car accident at one time, broke her knee, and that kind of mm, persuaded her to live a, a life of a housewife, if you will, a housewife, if you will. Sure. So from Guadalajara, Mexico, we moved to San Diego, California which is also a very beautiful city, a very temperate climate like Guadalajara. And I went to junior college, a college called Mesa College. And I was working on getting a, a black belt in Tang Sudo, which was a style of Korean karate. It is a style of Korean karate. I got up to green belt. And then after two years, I went to the University of San Diego because I couldn't do the junior college thing anymore. And I started taking classes, and then I realized I didn't want to be in school anymore. It just was not fun. I was majoring in philosophy, and I was hanging out with some friends, old friends from Guadalajara, who had also mm -hmm. moved to San Diego, and that just was not my thing anymore, so... I wound up getting a full-time job as a bellman at a hotel in San Diego, the Hyatt Hotel, a very prestigious hotel. It still is on Mission Bay. And I worked that job for six years, and it was a great job. I saw all kinds of celebrities and football teams, sports teams that would come to play the San Diego sports teams. They would play in the stadium or the or they would perform at the sports arena, and I made pretty good money, lots of tips and a percentage of if I got somebody a rental car and tours of the city, all we'd have to do is pick up the phone and reserve a tour for somebody, and we'd get a percentage of that. And so I, I averaged about $40 a day, $40, $45, $50 a day, not to include my wages, and it was a learning experience, for sure. And then one day I said, without going into the details, I've got to get out of here. My parents had just moved to Las Vegas, and my lifestyle was not going anywhere. It was stagnant. I saw that. I found myself kind of in danger at the time. Mm -hmm. I decided, therefore, to move to Las Vegas. In a roundabout way, stopping in to see a, a friend in Missouri, I got to Las Vegas, and my parents really weren't too happy to see me because I had to stay with them. I didn't have much money. I didn't have a job. So I eventually wound up joining the Army from there. Mm -hmm. After about four months, I was on my way to basic training at Fort Benning, Georgia, infantry for four years. I went over to Germany, Aschaffenburg, 
with the 1st and the 4th Infantry, 81-millimeter mortars, and then after two years to Fort Polk, Louisiana, where I was with a, what they call a Fort Deuce, 107-millimeter mortar platoon for two years. And we used to take our tracks, our armored personnel carriers everywhere, go on training areas, drive around in the day at nighttime. I realized that it was a very dangerous job, and I'd almost gotten killed one time. Mm -hmm. And so I reclassified into another MOS, another job. 71 Lima, administrative specialist. And they sent me off to school to learn to be a clerk typist. And there we were in a classroom typing away on our old IBM typewriters. We had to type so many words a minute in order to pass the course, which I was able to, which I did. And then I was off to my new assignment in Korea for one year at the 2nd AG Company, which later became the 509th Personnel Service Company. And I started taking Taekwondo, and after a few months, I got my black belt in Taekwondo. And then I was working on my second degree black belt. I extended for one year because they gave me a a choice to, if I extended, to get a free month of leave or free round-trip airfare back to the States for some time off. And I think I chose the airfare. I went back, and my father had arranged for me to get my U.S. citizenship it didn't work out exactly the way he planned because it was supposed to happen there in Tampa where I was visiting my parents, but my father got a hold of a congressman. That first plan that fell through, he was able to arrange something at Lake Charles, Louisiana, where they have a place where a lot of people get sworn in to become U.S. citizens. And so on my way back to Korea, I stopped in at Lake Charles, Louisiana, and got sworn in. That was the 15th of March, 1988. And so I'm a U.S. citizen now, a naturalized citizen. And I did my second year in Korea, and then I got accepted to go to the Reserve Officer Training Corps, or ROTC, at Bowling Green State University in Ohio, where I was the administrative NCO for an ROTC battalion, helping to train and help cadets become officers, and I did that for a little over three years, and then I had put in a request to go to the language school to change to change my MOS, my job, to mm-hmm. a voice analyst interpreter, and I was accepted for Turkish language. I think I had requested... Turkish, Italian, and French, and I was accepted for Turkish. I went to the Language Institute only to find out that I couldn't change my MOS, my job, that I would have to stay a 71 Lima Administrative Specialist. But the good thing was, for that 47-week course, I got promotion points. I was an E5, a sergeant at the time, so by the time I graduated from that course, I had enough promotion points and did well with everything else. My 
Army physical fitness test and my marksmanship and my schooling. So I was only two points short of maxing the total amount of points. And I got picked up for Staff Sergeant E6. And we finished the course. I went to my basic officer, non-commissioned officer course at Fort Benjamin Harrison, Indiana. It was about a six-week, five-week course. I did really well because I was a good runner. I could do a lot of push-ups and sit-ups. I was, at that time, I had maxed, I had achieved the maximum score on nine Army PT tests in a row. And so when I went to the non-commissioned officer course, the basic course, I eventually, for that, at the end, I won all of the awards, the Honor Graduate, the Distinguished Leader Award, and the Ironman Trophy at the final physical fitness test with a run, two-mile run time of 11.56, and I did 88 push-ups and 88 sit-ups. And in regard to the Distinguished Leader Award, my classmates voted me Distinguished Leader. I asked them, why did you vote me Distinguished Leader? They said, well, they figured that anybody who ran as fast as I did deserved to be the distinguished leader, which was cool. Mm-hmm. And but I'm talking all about myself, Joel. How about you go ahead and share some more of your life? How about, let me see, uh, what if, if you can't think of something, I could ask you some questions. Well, well, what I would like to talk about is... Uh, is jump forward to the future, you know? Yeah. Um, Within the past month, I've lost my vision. But what I felt I've gained is stability. I think I think I was being raised to uh, to make sure that everybody was had a smile on their face or or you know I, I ended up being a helper in the workforce willing to help everyone that I could help um, and at the same time learning that hey there's people that do take advantage of, advantage of that so I had a, a slight transition within the past uh, um, 18 months, realizing um, it's good to help others, but be cautious of those who, who, uh, who take advantage of it. Pay attention right. to those who, who want you to do their job, you know? And mm-hmm. that was, uh, to me, that was... Um, that um, that was something I have always been in denial because I always wanted to. I always been fighting the fight that people are uh, our first good, and and you know, I I, I had to realize yeah. that hey, you can't you can't move forward with that with that mindset. People are not, not everybody 
our our first good. Some people are are raised rotten, and by the time they hit you, they come your way. You have to be on the defense. Yeah, because of that, and I think that that changed me. I didn't want to change, but I realized I need to. I need to learn how to change to to tell my kids what to look out for. You know, you could be the the nicest person in the world. You could try to help others, but just know, just know, you also have to be on the defense. Someone will catch you off guard and you'll, you'll, just don't don't travel in a bubble thinking everybody around you are, are nice people. Yeah, and isn't that amazing how you have such diversity, how good and evil can exist side by side. That diversity is really quite fascinating. You would think maybe that the human species would be either one way or the other, but not a combination of both, how, how peaceful, benevolent, people can live under tyrannical governments and how evil vicious people can live under democratic governments you know that diversity is amazing but then i think at the core i think you were saying this earlier that people basically are are decent you know they're raised they're shaped they're molded by their parents and it can change a person's attitude. It can change a person's behavior. Take someone like Hitler, for example, you know, someone who's responsible for the most murders in the history of the world, you know, over 6 million Jews, not to mention all the people that were killed in World War II as a result of him wanting to conquer the world, so to speak. And I myself have found out recently that I'm part Jewish. And it blows mm-hmm. my mind, so to speak, that people would want to commit genocide, you know, just wipe out an entire species. But I understand, on the other side of the coin, why they they would, because it's like a competition, you know, and people can get jealous, especially Jewish people. And I've explained it on my show before. I have a theory about who the Jewish people are, where they came from. But to sum it up, or to make a long story short, they're a very intelligent race of people. That's why they're so good with finances. And something that I think you're good with finances, too, because you're a mathematical person with, you know, all of these formulas in your mind. And you just have a gift for that, I think. But people like Hitler, for example, I mean, who knows how he was treated by his parents? He might have been sexually abused as a child. He might have been physically abused. He just might have not been treated with love, you know. My parents treated me with a lot of love. My mother, I know she loved me very much. And I I have nothing but fond memories of my mother, you know, how well she treated me, how well both my parents treated me. I mean, they... They disciplined me at times when I needed to be disciplined, but otherwise, 
they were cool, you know. They gave me a lot of free reign to do what I wanted to do because they were what I call war babies. They were raised in at the end of World War One. They went through World War Two. My mother went through the bombing of London. My father was with the British Army at Normandy and Dunkirk. And so they saw how bitter life could be. When someone's trying to kill you, it changes your mind. It makes you a different person, you know. So they both had PTSD, and that kind of rubbed off on me. I grew up in a secondhand smoke environment. My parents drank alcohol heavily. My father, just about until the day he died, my mother all the way up until the day she died. So life can change people, you know. They can start out, even take a look at a baby, you know, an innocent baby, beautiful, loving, adorable and how they can change, you know, how they can be shaped and molded into becoming a killer. I don't know if you heard, there was a man who was executed in Florida the other day because they had the death penalty there. Did you hear about him? I think his name was Dreadmill, if I'm not mistaken. Well, what he killed was two people. Did you hear about him? I I might have, but... uh... Um, if you tell me the story, it may come to light. Okay. Well, he was 15 years old when he killed a woman. And he was put in prison. I think he also killed a a sheriff uh, who was trying to capture him. You know, they got into a fight and he pulled the sheriff's gun, you know, as they were wrestling about, and he shot him with his own gun. The woman, I think, uh, he was trying to, he was sleeping in her car, or he was trying to hijack her car, and she caught him, and they were fighting, and so he had a a knife, and he uh, stabbed her and slashed her throat. Not a pleasant way to die, but it's reality. That's what happened, and so he was put into prison and was on death row for over 30 years. And they tried to appeal based on him supposedly being in his mother's or during his fetal development in his mother's womb. She was drinking heavily, and so that affected his mind, that was their argument, the defense, but it was denied. Also, they said that he was abused as a child, and that's a case in point there, what I was talking about, how people can be abused by their parents or their family in some way or friends, peers, whomever, and that can shape a person's life and change them from what they were before at their core being a decent, loving individual into someone who is hateful and evil and who does things. Going down that road, it just keeps going on and on, you know. Take like, for example, something just came to mind, Billy the Kid, probably one of the most notorious evil gunslingers, outlaw in Western history, responsible for killing many people, but the first person he killed was in self-defense, 
And after that, it just, it was like a one thing after another where he wasn't really responsible for what happened. They, they didn't want to go down that road, but after not too long, he killed several people and then he was in trouble with the law. You know, how you got a lawman that comes after you, they're not, they're, they're out to hang you. They don't care about the truth, about what happened, how you're trying to defend yourself, you know, self-defense. They're trying to kill you, so you have to kill them, and this goes on and on. And So a good person became a bad person and went down in history as a, one of the most notorious outlaws in, in the history of the United States, you know. But it's, it goes to show how somebody can become bad in very short period of time and not really deserve to be tagged that way, if you know what I mean, or to be labeled that way, where, you know, if you believe in God and a power, higher power, they have that perfect judgment. Say someone like Hitler, going back to Hitler, and all the souls that he was responsible for wiping off the face of the earth. Now, God's judgment, that higher power, because I don't know if you believe in God. Do you think you believe in God, the Creator, don't you? doesn't matter if you say if you don't. That would be fine, too. Do you believe in yeah. God, Joel? Um, I, I, I want to reserve that. Okay. Okay. I understand. And I'm cool with that. But let's say that there's a higher power. And I've said this in my show before, Joel. And I don't know if I've talked with you before about this. Take all the life here on Earth, right? Over a million types of insects, over 30,000 types of fish, over 10,000 types of birds, over 10,000 types of reptiles, over 9,000 types of amphibians, over 5,000 types of mammals, all the flowers and trees, the fruits, the vegetables, all this life, right? Such a variety, different types of bodies, so many different types of bodies, right? Individual bodies. If all that life here on Earth happened by accident, and you know they're discovering planets every day with the Kepler Space Telescope and the James Webb Space Telescope, they've discovered up to date over a thousand planets out there in the universe, over 300, 400 types of solar systems. So the point is, we know that there are other planets out there. If all the life on Earth happened by accident, logically, and I know you're a logical person, logically, it could happen by accident anywhere in the universe on another planet. But if there is a creator who created all this life on Earth, and logically, a creator with the power and knowledge to create all this life on Earth, logically could create either the same or different life anywhere in the universe, also anywhere, logically. And an atheist, well, I don't want to go, excuse me, I didn't, I've known some atheists, you know, and, and it's okay to feel that way, to, to think that way, as long as one is secure in one's own belief, in one, one's own beliefs, then that's all that matters, you know? Because it's all good the way I look at it. 
the, the people that don't believe might be helping the people that do believe to believe stronger or more to have more conviction in their beliefs. But anyway, let me, I'm kind of going off on a tangent here. Let's go back to something that's more, um, more um, about yourself. Uh, tell, tell me what is your philosophy on life, Joel? Do you do you have a philosophy? I mean, the if you treat others, if you're a good soul, you're a good person, and you treat people that way, you'll get that in return. Yes, I agree. Treat others how you want to be treated. Do unto others as you would have done unto you. Right. I yeah. was, um And that's how I raised my kids. Hey, hey, um, respect others, and hopefully they respect you. But, but if they don't respect you, you know. It has it has yeah. nothing to do with you. It has more to do with them. Right. So don't don't take it. Uh, don't change your ways because of the way they treat you. Yeah. Yeah, you've got to. We have to. You know, afford everybody dignity and respect you know everyone is worthy of dignity and respect but if people want to if people don't have your best interests in mind then we have to look after number one you know we have to look after ourselves and you as a father you know you have a great responsibility to look after your own children i have a son who lives in california he's 28 and I was blessed, really, to have my son because I wouldn't be here today, I feel, if it wasn't for him. He's had so much impact on my life. Besides me donating one of my kidneys to him in 1995, he has returned that favor in, in ways that I, I, cannot, I can't really begin to tell you what they were. Sure. For one thing, people recognize that the people I've talked with, co-workers, friends, they acknowledge how not only did I help him, you know, but I wouldn't, it just seemed to help me in ways people were sympathetic to me, were, were understanding. They seemed to Love me more, if you will. Sure. Because of my sacrifice. And and be more understanding and more lenient as far as maybe, you know, looking out for my best interests in the job and progressing right. in my work. It's This had so many favorable things, so many 
favorable impacts in my life, if you will. Sure. And it's almost as if, wow, you know, it was meant to be that way, kind of. And uh, I'm so grateful for my son, you know, and he's had a rough road, really. It's been tough for him. But he's a, a warrior, you know. He's a, he really is. He's had to go through some really tough times, but he's doing well for himself now, you know, and it's been good, and it is good. You know, hopefully, God willing, he'll um, continue to thrive and, and do well for himself. You know, my prayer is that he will make it as an actor because he's there in Burbank, you know, working for Warner Brothers, lives with a, a bona fide Hollywood actress in the name, whose name is Terry Snell, who was the aunt in Home Alone 1 and 2. She is his manager. And he, he rents a room in their her apartment, which she rents from someone else, actually, but she charges him I think $600 a month for the room and the use of the kitchen and so on. And it's a quite a very fortunate arrangement for him because and I've talked with her many times. She's a Hollywood actress. You know, she's in her 70s now, but she went through that Home Alone 1 and 2. I don't know if you're aware of it, but Home Alone 3 and 4, they didn't use those same actors as Home Alone 1 and 2. And so it kind of didn't do as well as those first two movies, and anyway, she, um, she, I think she got some other acting roles, and she's been like a second mother to Bryce ever since she moved away from home in 2015 and moved to California. Yeah. He, he, um, has been doing well for himself, you know? And always with the hope, the prayer that he'll be able to get a role in a major commercial, maybe, where his face will become well-known. I've got a feeling that if he gets that national exposure, that people are going to like him. They're going to like what they see. He could be a model. He's got that... You've seen a picture of him there at my desk, right? When you walked around, you remember what he looks like? He's got that unique kind of look that if he wound up in a major commercial, mm -hmm. him being a good actor, you know, and be, being able to act and take on that challenge, he could, it could escalate to bigger things, you know? Because once people, yeah. and I've seen this before, people see you and they like you. They want to see you more, and then you get other roles and maybe land a spot in a movie alongside a, a big actor, you know, or actress, uh, a mainstream Hollywood actor or actress. The next thing uh -huh. you know, you're on your road to stardom, you know. So that's my prayer for him, you know, God willing. I hope it all works out for him. Anyway, 
we're just about running short of time here, Joel. I think we've got about three more minutes. Is there anything else you'd like to say? I think I've done most of the talking. Well, well, thank you for this uh, opportunity. Um, maybe I need to, I need to, how do you, how can you be an audience? How can you I be one? I need to find a way to get to your podcast or, you know, also be an audience. Be, be an, audience. an audience? All right. you have to do is just um, tune in to, if you go into BBS's website, you can just click on the button and listen to what's being broadcast at that time in either Channel 1 or Channel 2. Okay, so, okay. If you want to tune in, you know, at any other show during the week or my show, you know, that's fine, sure. easy to do. And also you can access the archives in in BBS Radio for my previous shows, you know, throughout the years. I don't know if you'd want to because some stuff I talk about might be considered by your, how would you describe it, the, the people who, um, regular people who you meet every day. It's kind of out in right field, so to speak, you know, because I think outside the box. I talk about what I consider to be the truth. You know, I'm a truth seeker. And mm. some people don't want to hear the truth. It It is frightening to hear the truth sometimes. What if I was to say to you right now that Jesus Christ, who died on the cross, was an extraterrestrial from another planet in our Milky Way galaxy, you'd probably think, well, you know, I don't necessarily agree with that, but everyone's entitled to their opinion, you know? As long right. as you can pre present some kind of ration... <coughs> Excuse me, take a drink. Present some rationale as to why you think that way. Uh -huh. You know? Yeah. And as long as it's logical, maybe, you know, I'm always keeping an open mind. Right. I try to, you know, I'm willing to listen to what somebody believes in. And just how strong their beliefs are, you know, how strong their conviction is. And yeah. I noticed that with a lot of Christians nowadays, they're not willing to think outside the box. Some people will say, if it's not in the Bible, I don't believe it. You know, you have to believe 100% of what the Bible says. But for me, that's not logical because you have, first of all, the interpretations of the people that wrote the Bible, um, what they interpreted, what they saw back then, which might not be 100% accurate, and then all the rewritings throughout the centuries by different people One whose minute. intentions weren't always in the best interest of us, you know. We've got one minute, Joel, so thank you for being on the okay. show. You can come back thank anytime. You. Uh, you're yeah. welcome. Thank you for sharing your some of your perspectives. I sure would like to hear more from you because I know that you could share a lot more about your life and and some of your skills, you know, share that. So let me just finish up by saying thank you all for listening, and I hope you tune in next week. I'm the Reverend Blake Ruby. Welcome. Uh, excuse me, not welcome, but uh, thank you for tuning in. And 
take good care, and may God bless us, everybody. Bye, everybody. Bye, Joel. Talk to you later. Mm -hmm. Yep.